This podcast is brought to you by the Village of Bedford Park, your home for business. Over 450 businesses strong and growing with a safe, reliable Lake Michigan water supply. Visit VOBPBiz.com and bring your business home to the Village of Bedford Park. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Now, the WBBM Noon Business Hour. It's 12.03, Friday afternoon, August 5th. Good afternoon. Thanks for joining us on the Noon Business Hour, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. I'm Rob Hart. Recent deals by City Hall have Chicago residents and aldermen feeling left out of the process. We'll cover that in our next segment. But right now, the government jobs report for July is out, and it's better than expected. Let's break it down with the help of Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services, based in Pittsburgh. Gus, thanks for joining us us once again today. 528,000 new jobs in July. The July jobs report, one might might say, was uh, hotter than July. Um, Before we talk about uh, the specifics of this particular report, this was so far above expectations, Gus. What was your reaction when you saw that number this morning? Um, You know, this is just, it's a great number from the labor market perspective. Uh, It appears that businesses are not slowing up hiring, despite talk about recession in the economy. And this also indicates that we're not at all in recession. If we're adding 400,000, 500,000 jobs per month, the economy is expanding. We're not in recession right now. And uh, this is uh, in the in, in the background of rising interest rates and uh, some indications in the weekly jobless claims reports that the uh, jobs market was slowing down just a little bit. Uh, if you are on the Federal Reserve Board of Governors or Chairman Jay Powell, uh, would you say that uh, team soft landing is ahead today? Yeah, no, this is this is very good from that perspective. But what it does mean is that the Fed may need to raise interest rates higher than they were uh, expecting even just a few days ago. So um, we're, you know, they're in a very terrific, tricky spot. They need to cool off growth. Uh, in some respects, this makes their job harder because this mean, may mean that they need to raise interest rates more aggressively over the next six, nine months or so. Wage growth uh, also surging higher. Average hourly earnings jumped uh, half a percentage point for the month, uh, 5.2% higher from July of 2021. Uh, that is one piece of inflationary pressure that is still in there. But, Gus, it sounds like there are some indications that uh, uh, in when it comes to uh, some non-core parts of the uh, consumer price index, that uh, inflation is starting to be wrung out of the economy. That's right. We're seeing big declines in commodity prices. Obviously, gasoline prices have been falling for more than a month now at this point. Uh, we're hearing uh, anecdotal uh, accounts that uh, some retailers have too much inventory on their shelves and they're discounting. So I think we're going to see slower inflation, at least for goods, but services inflation, that remains strong. Uh, there was a, a guest we had yesterday that uh, talked about how, you know, two or three percent uh Percentage points of inflation, uh, very easy to wring out of the economy just uh, as far as food and fuel are concerned. But uh, it's that remaining 4% that's uh, really persistent and tough, and that's where uh, the Fed's going to have to earn its money. It's like losing weight. The first 20 pounds are the easiest. 
Yeah, no, that's exactly right. And and so, you know, a lot of it is coming from housing, for example. That's going to take higher interest rates to work its way out of the system. So I would expect that we'll see inflation noticeably lower by early 2023. But to get to the Fed's 2% objective by, let's say, early 2024, um, it is going to take noticeably slower economic growth, uh, weaker job growth, and perhaps a small increase in the unemployment rate. Gus Fauché, Chief Economist, PNC Financial Services in Pittsburgh. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up, a call for mayoral transparency in the wake of deals involving NASCAR and Lollapalooza. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. The NASCAR race in downtown Chicago, the Lollapalooza extension, and the City Casino are major deals that Mayor Lightfoot has inked, apparently without much input from the City Council or from residents. Let's get the perspective of Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business. Greg, thanks for joining us today. What type of accountability are we talking about here? Are we talking about more public hearings? Are we talking about uh, more city council involvement? Uh, What are the transparency advocates asking for? Uh, Yes, yes, and yes, Rob. Everything you mentioned (laughs) and more. Um, Let me me contact this a little bit. Arguably the greatest change in this city in the last 30 or 40 years is the fact that downtown is no longer not just a place for business. It's a place for people to live. Uh, If you think back to the 50s and 60s, there was the Gold Coast, and that was about it. Well, now you have people all over the place. There are a quarter of a million people live in the central area. Uh, Right across the street from Millennium Park and Grand Park, there are tens of thousands of people. Uh, And the mayor uh, sees these things, sees those areas as a, as a, a, something that will help with gain tax revenue. And I understand that. That's where Lollapalooza was. That's where the NASCAR race would be. Uh, the, uh, the casino was a little further north uh, along the river, but uh, it affects all kinds of people who live there. And I think what, what they're asking is, hey, um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't just stick a race uh, with stock cars going 150 an hour, 140 miles an hour in your neighborhood without talking to, the, to people and seeing what you can do. They're asking for the same kind of consideration, and they frankly haven't gotten much. Uh, City Hall has been pulling information out of City Hall about NASCAR in particular. has been uh, like pulling teeth. They just don't want to talk. You know, that's, that's not fair to those people. If, you, if you're going to ask them to kind of sacrifice and put up with stuff, at least be straight with them and tell them exactly what's going on. It's a different downtown, as you mentioned, but uh, as far as City Hall and transparency are concerned, granted, it's a low bar, but is there any substantial difference between uh, the deals brokered by Mayor Lightfoot in 2022 uh, versus a deal that would be reached by uh, Mayor Richard M. Daley in 2002? Uh, That's a a pretty good question. (laughs) Uh, uh, Not a lot, although perhaps a little bit more than you might think. Uh, I'll give you an example. Rahm Emanuel, who, uh, when Lightfoot ran for mayor, she promised to kind of be the anti-Rahm, adopt a different style. Um, uh, these people took a real close look at exactly the kind of NASCAR things that the mayor's now talking about. Uh, they they uh, kept people out here. They talked to aldermen. They talked to community groups. And they decided not to do it because it wasn't worth the inconvenience that it would inflict uh, on the people that were there. Um, I don't see the mayor doing anything like this in this case. She's decided. Uh, she's even insisting that this, this may not have to go to the vote by the city council or the park district, even though it's going to occupy a good chunk of Grand Park for up to two weeks, close down Lakeshore Drive for a while, close down Michigan Avenue and lots of other streets. Um, uh, 
Maybe uh, in his heyday, maybe Rich Daly would have done something like that. Uh, we, we all remember what happened in Meg's Field, where he sent out the bulldozers one night uh, and just and just and just chopped it up. But, but this mayor promised to be different. She said, "I'm not going to do business that way. I'm going to be open and transparent." Well, I think she ought to be. Is this the kind of thing that uh, could become an issue next spring? Oh, absolutely. Um, uh, all of the aldermen downtown have been screaming their heads off, the three of them, uh, uh, four of them, uh, about this. Uh, they wouldn't be doing that if they didn't think there was political potential. Um, let's see who, who, if anybody else gets in the mayoral race. Uh, but uh, I think, yes, certainly in the aldermen, actually, probably in the, uh, uh, in the mayoral race, people are going to say, hey, uh, the city needs money, but it's got to treat its, its residents and, and neighborhoods fair in the process. Greg Hines, columnist, Crane Chicago Business. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Coming up next, gauging the markets on a bear versus bull basis. Discussing the news affecting your money. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. We've seen financial markets rally off their lows, and some analysts say the worst is over. But according to contrarians, the bear market still has some legs, and investors are likely to feel more financial pain. Joining us with his perspective is Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for the Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Mark, thanks for joining us for te- thanks for joining us today. Uh, even though the uh, Dow has turned positive, the first thought that that popped into my head when I saw the uh, jobs number for this morning is that there's going to be a big sell-off today because uh, interest rate fears uh, will be reintroduced to the market. Um, Does that mean uh, this era of uh, relatively good feeling we've been talking about for the past month, does that mean it's over and it's back to uh, the first half of 2022? Well, I mean, it's anybody's guess. I want to stress that this is just my opinion, and that and what two dollars, I guess, these days will buy you a cup of coffee. But the uh, <laughs> wow, that's I pre-inflationary do... pricing too. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? So, uh, no, I would have to agree with you that I, I think uh, there's something a little bit too easy and convenient about the story that happy days are here again, which is what basically is the narrative that's captured Wall Street's attention over the last six weeks. The market is up strongly from its low in June. But if you go back and look historically, it turns out that the, uh, the, the rallies off a of bottom that truly are the beginning of a new bull market typically are met by disbelief as opposed to eager, uh, eagerness to jump on the bullish bandwagon. And at least our data suggests that uh, we've been seeing a lot more eagerness than we have skepticism. And that, that is a worrisome sign. I think uh, what that suggests is that we probably have another trip back down to visit the vicinity of the June lows. And if I had to guess, I think those lows will be broken. The uh, Do the markets adhere to the law of gravity? And in this case, uh, what is the center of gravity? Well, who knows? I mean, I think over the short term, the Fed's policy and interest rates have to be the dominant factor. And uh, as you mentioned in the intro, today's p- report increases the likelihood that the Fed's going to raise rates, uh, if anything, even more aggressively than they have already. And you look at all the valuation indicators that uh, that are a way of measuring where the stock market is relative to its underlying value. Those those uh, those ratios, those measures are incredibly sensitive to prevailing interest rates. So even if inter- even if uh, earnings don't change one way or the other, just the fact that uh, we're putting a lower valuation on those earnings has to suggest that uh, I think we have some more downside ahead of us. Is this strictly a function of higher interest rates? Because I can't believe that uh, 
that uh, all investors have such short memories that they don't remember 25 years ago when interest rates were in the fives and the financial markets were uh, putting up uh, numbers that were unheard of back then. Well, it is amazing. I guess <laughs> I might question a little bit uh, your assumption about whether we have long-term memories enough to think back 25 years ago. I'm I'm amazed at how uh, you know we don't even remember six six months ago. Right? The, uh, the the saying on Wall Street is that the long term lasts from lunch till dinner, and it seems like we have <laughs> such short-term memories, and we just don't uh, we don't really take history into account, and which is perhaps one of the reasons why we're doomed to repeat it over and over. Again. Mark Hulbert, investment columnist for The Wall Street Journal, Barron's and MarketWatch.com, based in Washington. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Still ahead in Entrepreneur Friday, Chicago favorite Rainbow Cone will be setting up shop at a lot more locations. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is Chicago's News Traffic and Weather Station, News Radio 1059. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Good afternoon. I'm Rob Hart. These are the top stories on News Radio WBBM. A downward trend in gas prices provides relief for people on summer weekend getaways. Milwaukee has been chosen as the site for the next Republican National Convention. An Entrepreneur Friday, Chicago's famous Rainbow Cone, looking to expand. Demand for luxury cars is very high, creating a lucrative resale market. WBBM Business, the market. Markets are mixed. The Dow is up 12 points. The Nasdaq is down 69. The S&P 500 is down 12. It's 12:31. The our top story at the half hour. There is a little less pain at the pump on this summer weekend. Oklahoma is one of the first states in the nation to drop below three dollars a gallon for gas. Reactions from these drivers in Oklahoma City. I looked down and seen the price, and I thought. That's pretty darn good. I mean, I'm happy, and I mean, it's uh, it needs to come on down. It's under hundred dollars today to fill up, and this is two ninety seven. <laughs> so it makes a difference if you pay attention. Industry analysts say average gas prices have lowered for seven straight weeks. Jim Crisula, CBS News. Republicans have unanimously chosen Milwaukee to host their 2024 national convention, beating out runner-up Nashville. The decision was announced in Chicago today at the RNC's summer meeting. Milwaukee was selected by Democrats to host their 2020 convention, but it was moved almost entirely online because of the pandemic. The Noon Business Hour continues at 12.32, presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Stocks are mixed at this hour. We're joined by Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Michael, thanks for joining us today. When uh, looking at that July jobs report, uh, I guess it's kind of a Rorschach test for what type of investment are you? Uh, do you see that number and think interest rates, or do you see that number and think soft landing? Well, good afternoon, Rob, and thanks for having me on. Well, you have to, first of all, be a little bit concerned about it being too hot and that the Fed would, would raise rates uh, 
um, quicker than, than what is anticipated. Um, I do think we are going to have somewhat of a soft landing, but time will tell. Uh, this definitely gives the Fed uh, more room to raise rates. We at MJP Capital still think that they're going to be cautious going forward. We expected what they did already, the 275s, but coming up, uh, the next meeting is uh, next month, September 21st. This is scaring some people into saying 75 basis points again. I don't see it. I still think they go 50, and that would allow them to have room for the last two meetings to, to raise further if, they, if, they, if the data does uh, suggest they should. But there's definitely some, some uh, headwinds to the market and to economic growth. I mean, we've had two straight negative uh, real GDP quarters. Now, that's a technical recession. Are we really in a recession? I, I don't believe so, but we certainly are not in a high-growth uh, gangbusters economy. It, this job report is, is odd in that it, it goes against what all this other data is saying, but I don't think this one, one number is going to change what Powell and company will do in, in September. So we'll see, but um, there's just too much data sh- suggesting a slowdown for one jobs number to, to change that. So that, that's our opinion. As far as the Fed is concerned, what is uh, the next uh, milestone for them before they uh, make a decision in September? Well, I mean, you've got CPI and PPI coming out August 10th and 11th next week. So that's going to be, that's been the, the, the inflationary numbers that, that have, have gotten the Fed going. And, you know, we, we expect it to, to, things to quiet down a bit. Um, and, but those numbers will be very important. And, and you might, you know, if you get a real hot uh, PPI especially, you might see bonds sell off more and, and yields rise. That would give another uh, bit of, of, uh, of, of um, uh, leeway for the Fed to raise. But again, we think 50 is, is going gonna, is gonna to be what happens because there's just too much conflicting data that is not saying that we are growing. And in fact, you know, the contraction in GDP uh, uh, growth is, is actually a, a very significant um, number. So it, we'll see what happens with the, with the inflationary numbers next week. That's going to be big uh, end of next week. So, um, but until then, you know, we wait, and, and then, then after that we'll have the Fed meeting on September 21st. Uh, by then you'll also have an August reading in CPI and PPI. So they're going to have some more data. This is one number, though, it spooked bonds. Bonds are down, you know, pretty significantly. Yields are up. That's never good for stocks. Um, you know, uh, so, you know, you've got a slight sell-off here in the stock market. But, again, this is one number. It's not the end of the world. It, 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 is, a, it is a bizarrely high, uh, strong number. i got to admit, I, no one thought this. This was, like, double what they thought the payroll number was going to be. But I still think the Fed has a lot more data coming before they make their decisions. So let's just hold tight and see what happens. Very quickly, Amazon is acquiring iRobot, the maker of Roomba, for $1.7 billion uh, to add the uh, Roomba to uh, Amazon's uh, connected house uh, concept. But what is the real value that uh, Amazon is getting here? Are they buying the product or are they buying the data the product will provide? Yeah, no doubt they're buying the data. I mean, uh, they don't, uh, you know, uh, Bezos doesn't need a Roomba uh, to add to his collection of, uh, of uh, assets. But, but, you know, there's fear that Amazon's getting so much data they're going to know everything about you. But what my question is, 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 okay, so what? I mean, 
they're going to try to sell you products. Do people? They're going to get ad, people are going to get ads from Amazon regardless. Would you want an ad from Amazon that has no idea what you want, or do you want an ad from Amazon that actually might show you a product you might want to buy? I don't get the the angst and the and the, and the worry about this. But you know what? People are going to be concerned about their privacy. It's just that you're going to get ads anyway. So wouldn't you want a tailored ad? I, I, I don't see what the problem is. But yeah, they're they're buying iRobot to, to learn more about their consumers, and, and you can't blame them. Michael Palumbo, founder of MJP Capital, author of the book Calculated Risk, based in Chicago. Coming up next in Entrepreneur Friday, an iconic Chicago sweet treat is the subject of an expansion kick. Information to make cash and save cash. The WBBM Noon Business Hour continues. Hey, it's Entrepreneur Friday, and this afternoon the spotlight is on a Chicago ice cream classic and the company's plans for growth. We welcome in Lynn Sapp, president and owner of Rainbow Cone in Chicago. Lynn, thanks for joining us today. Let me tell you a little bit about uh, my own uh, emotional and, uh, and, and stomach relationship with uh, Rainbow Cone that goes back more than 30 years. Uh, I grew up in Beverly. My parents still live there. Uh, Rainbow Cone, 92nd and Western, has been the scene of uh, many a ice cream trip after soccer at the Dan Ryan Woods. I still take my kids there whenever we go down and visit my parents. And uh, you guys also catered my wedding 11 years years ago. So uh, a deep, deep, deep relationship uh, with Rainbow Cone. And I'm not the only one. Um, if you're a Southsider, even if you've moved away, uh, the words Rainbow Cone uh, still uh, conjure up something magical. And now you're taking that uh, sense of place and feeling nationwide. Yes, we are. And that's what it's all about. It's your memories and bringing those memories with a simple ice cream cone of original Rainbow Cone since we've been doing it since 1926. So it's 96 years, and we're ready to expand and franchise, uh, and we're very, very excited. Now, there, the, 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 the expansion plans have been uh, rather uh, methodical over the last couple of years. You opened uh, a, a branch at uh, Navy Pier. That was the first uh, location uh, outside of uh, the Beverly neighborhood. I believe there was another one on State Street, uh, expanded to uh, White Sox Park. And then that partnership with Buona Beef was when uh, Rainbow Code really started to go far and wide. It is. It is. And I'm very grateful for the Bonavolanto family because they have a lot of young people and family members working with great energy. And we have made plans to bring the product out with their help. And what is, I mean, what is it about the uh, Rainbow Cone itself, the many different flavors uh, going through all of them at the same time, uh, that makes that so unique, especially in an ice cream space where you have all sorts of different uh, ideas and you can make big banana splits, this, that, and the other thing. You know, what is it about the Rainbow Cone that makes it truly special uh, in the ice cream area? Well, it's a fresh fruit nut, and it was invented by Joe, my grandfather. But my grandmother, Catherine, is the one that did the business side. So he wanted um, more than one flavor. And people um, don't understand, in 1926, when you gave them a dime for an ice cream cone, that was a really, that was a lot of money. And um, so it had to be really good. And he came up with the five flavors of chocolate, strawberry, Palmer House, which is cherry, walnut, pistachio, and then there's orange sherbet on top. So the uniqueness is the ice cream sherbet combination with the nuts and the fruit. And it, it works, you know, um, all together or individually. 
And that's the beauty of the product that's worked for 96 years, God bless them. <laughs> and and where, where is it, when, when you're looking outside of the Chicago area to put in a Rainbow Cone franchise, do you do the research and figure out like where people uh, from Chicago may have moved uh, as a function of retirement or for some other reason, and then try to follow them there? Yes, that's why we're concentrating in Florida first, Arizona, and um, Florida, Arizona um, is where our our group base is and um texas we're going to try also and um you can go to uh rainbowconefranchise.com and find out more information about that but there's a whole lot of chicago people in florida and this is their memory also so that's why we picked that that's natural for us and um also Arizona, there's a whole lot of transplants. So, and they're warmer states, and we're going to go try it. I was going to say, if what, your your Arizona location uh, is there a will there be a franchise in Glendale to catch all those people going to White Sox spring training in March? That's the question. We need somebody to franchise with us, so that's what we're hoping. And we that, just started this, and it's a brand new ball game. So, you know, no pun intended. But it is because we've never done this before. We're in the process. We just started it. So we can't wait to see what our, um, the Rainbow Cone does. And then lastly, uh, you know, how does this uh, change the workflow for uh, you know, people making the ice cream cones? Because there was a time it was just the Rainbow Cone. That was the thing that you could get. And now there are a lot more offerings and flavors, banana splits, shakes, donuts. Um, how does that change the way you hire and how does that change the way they make the ice cream? Well, the Rainbow Cone is still the best seller out of all of it. Um, the Rainbow Cone is primary, but we've always had shakes and sundaes, even back in the day, because that's what um, people wanted and an ice cream parlor had for the special treat. But um, we, you know, God bless the Bona Volantos are using all the technology and the registers now, you go so much faster, so our lines go faster. And, you know, the Rainbow Cone stays the same, but we've got new equipment to do shakes and sundaes and streamline it. And um, all of that technology and putting us on DoorDash and all of the uh, response to the pandemic, putting us into trucks, all of this new technology allowed us to do that. Lynn Sapp, president and owner of Rainbow Cone in Chicago. Thanks for joining us this afternoon. Still to come, the luxury car market remains hot in a cooling economy. Compounding your interest with an economy of words. This is the WBBM Noon Business Hour. Global economic concerns aren't impacting the sales of high-end vehicles. We're joined by Rick Mancuso, owner of Ferrari of Lake Forest. Rick, thanks for joining us this afternoon. Uh, Did the high-end luxury car market uh, experience the same resurgence that a lot of other big-ticket items did during the pandemic? You couldn't spend that money to go on vacation, so instead you spent it on your house and spent it on your car. Was that the case in in the Lamborghini space, in the Ferrari space? It sure feels that way. You know, normally we have about 100 outstanding orders at Ferrari waiting for production dates in Italy to be built. Currently, as of this morning, we have 374. And uh, are are you also facing the same supply chain issues that have been hitting the rest of the automotive industry? No, it doesn't feel like it because we don't really have a chip shortage. Ferrari, in a moment of real foresight, buys only the framework of the chips, but they won't release any of the programming. They do that all themselves because they want to keep it proprietary and very secretive. So 
we weren't subject to waiting for other people to do that for us. And we never have new cars in stock anyway. They just build sold cars. So that's not new. The used car end of our business just really exploded, though, on top of that. Yeah, what about the uh, resale market for uh, the high-end cars? Because they usually talk about if you just buy an average vehicle, um, you know, you, the, it, it a bunch of its value dissipates the moment you drive it off the lot. What's the uh, depreciation cycle of a uh, Lamborghini or a Ferrari? Well, it's really been slowed down because there's hardly any depreciation at all anymore. There's more a chance for appreciation. But the car business in its simplest form is one of the best examples of supply and demand in its purest form. When you see lots that are filled with lots of cars in inventory, then you know there's going to be deals made and rebates and special programs and a lot of discounting going on. And that's all gone away now. So the supply has been cut and it's completely different. And now it's hard to find trades. It's hard to find quality used cars. It's never been this hard. Harder this year than it was last year. And uh, we thought prices were going to reset for a little bit. And I thought I was seeing that in the last 45 days. And then it all kind of seemed to firm up again in light of increased interest rates, longer waits on cars. It's been a great time for business, but it doesn't include that real confident feel-good factor right now. But it's still really good. And then lastly, and very quickly, um, inside the uh, resale market, uh, is there a desire by uh, fans of Ferraris or Lamborghinis that you know certain models or certain years in which a car was produced uh, have certain value because uh, they were unique and then something was discontinued? Or does that uh, come into play uh, in the resale market? It's always in play. The smaller the production run, the more valuable the car. If Ferrari only made a couple hundred cars versus a couple of thousand cars over a 20-year period, the ones that they made a couple of hundred of are the most valuable ones. For example, right now, we're coming up to the big sale for the year in Monterey in two and a half weeks. There's 110 cars over $10 million asking price that'll be on the auction blocks between all the three or four great auction houses. And they're chasing those cars. The whole world will be chasing those cars because of the limited production numbers. Some of them were as small as eight or ten models were only made. Rick Mancusco, owner of Ferrari of Lake Forest, thanks for joining us this afternoon.